Good morning. Got a good crowd this morning. Uh, we are have some handouts. Uh, several folks have them printed up in the in the back. Does anyone need a copy of a handout so far? Has everybody got one? Well, it's good to have everyone in here this morning. Um, this is we're continuing in uh, this study, fundamentals of the faith. Uh, we're on lesson number ten. Uh, of course, we've been discussing uh, for the past few weeks uh, worship in the church. Uh, last week, we just finished up uh, the Lord's Supper. Uh, two weeks ago, we talked about just our general worship assembly, and uh, I basically ran out of time then, so uh, we glossed over a couple of the uh, the key elements, but I knew that we had this one coming up today, so that's why we, we glossed over that. But this morning... Uh, we're going to be talking about music and the worship of the church. So the first thing we've got to remember, um, you know, and again in our worship, but just holistically, it has to be authorized by God. And it has to be authorized in the New Testament for it to be pleasing to Him. Of course, you know, we've kind of walked through uh, looking at uh, authority, where authority comes from. Uh, where is our authority where does our authority come from when we're looking at our basis of belief? From God, right? And we find the details of that authority in what? In the Bible, right? In His Word. Um, and then we looked at uh, the differences between the Old and the New Covenant. Uh, you know, remembering that, again, the New Covenant, when it was established with Moses, again, the ultimate goal was to establish... Uh, you know, the seed of, of Abraham, uh, you know, being Jesus, and that he would come through the house of Israel. Um, you know, there's a lot of confusion these days about whether or not you combine, you know, trying to combine elements of the Old Testament and New Testament. Uh, we've talked about that, how, you know, when Jesus died on the cross, the Old Testament was abolished, right? And at the time of his death, what, what occurred physically in the temple? You all remember that? The curtain was, was torn in two. And how was it torn? From top to bottom. Again, that was indicating that the old law had been abolished and the new covenant, the new law was established. So again, we have to, when we're looking at, you know, how we worship now, we have to remember that, that we look only at the, the New Testament for the basis behind what we do. Um, one of the key elements here in John uh, 4, 23 and 24 our worship has to be what? In spirit and in truth. And what does that mean? Truth means, again, based on, on the evidence or the authority that we've been given to us right through the New Testament. What about in spirit? Can somebody give me a, a description of how we worship in spirit? Got to have your heart into it, right? We've got, there's some, we're bringing something to God every day. We talked about, Josh talked about this last week, uh, uh, and I think Chuck even mentioned that he had some comments about this, but, you know, when we're coming into worship, you know, we, this is something we got to be thinking about, you know, when we're, we're waking up in the day, um, you know, the Lord's Day is on the first day of the week, but, you know, if we're just rushing in mindlessly um, without really having a thought about what, who we're approaching, um, you know, we've already... 
we're already kind of behind the eight ball. We, you know, we're our hearts, our, our minds are not in it. So we have to be committed. We're bringing something to God because again, our worship is, you know, a, figuratively a sacrifice to Him. You know, we're offering up praise, worship. Um, you know, we're offering thanksgiving, partaking of the Lord's Supper. You know, we're teaching each other in, in song as we're going to talk about today, praying, uh, listening to the Word. So there's a lot that goes on to, into it. And again, we have to remember again that God's word is our standard. Uh, as John 17, 17 here says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So again, that has to be the basis for everything we, we believe and, and approach. Um, the church, again, was established by Christ in the New Testament. And again, those of you all that have been in this class, uh, Matthew 16, 18, we've talked about that uh, Probably 10 of the 10 lessons we've had so far is at some point in time, Matthew 16, 16, 18 has come up in that. Uh, And then also uh, we do need to remember again that Christ's death did away uh, with the Old Testament. Uh, That passage again is expounded more in uh, Colossians uh, 2, 14 through 17 there. Uh, And then of course again also he established the new covenant. Hebrews 8 goes into 8 and 9, uh, gives a very lengthy description of that, and that's going to come up a little bit later in the, the uh, lesson. And then also, let's look at Galatians 5 first before we move on. <clears throat> Galatians 5, 1 through 4. I've remembered my glasses today, so that's good. Christ has liberated us into freedom. Therefore, stand firm and don't submit again to a yoke of of slavery. Take note, I, Paul, tell you that if you get circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. Again, I testify to every man who gets circumcised that he is obligated to keep the entire law. You are trying to be justified by the law. You are alienated. You are trying to be justified by the law or alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. So there again... Paul's expanding on that that concept and that thought that, you know, in our worship practices, you know, we have to look only at the authority of the New Testament. You know, if we try to mix and match, again, you know, we're 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 on the wrong path. Uh, and it, as he even, you know, just flat out told us here, you know, if you try to pull in elements of the old the old law, then you got to take it all. Um, and again, that does not correlate with uh, with what God's taught us and what Jesus' example was. So now as we jump into that again, establishing where our basis comes from, um, I'm going to start talking about our singing, how we worship God in song. Um, and then of course, as, as we'll talk about, congregational singing is what has been authorized for us in worship. Um, again, it's the, you know, well, if you notice in, in uh, 2A here, we've got several passages. I listed all of them. These are the ones I could find that uh, correlate with and talk about singing. Uh, we're not going to read them all right now, but we probably will uh, as we continue on with our discussion. Uh, but again, of course, uh, Matthew 26:30 and 14:26, uh, those we probably want. But if you remember the context there, um, that's when Jesus was instituting the Lord's Supper. You know, the night he was betrayed before he went to the cross. But one of the things they did is they were 
for singing the Passover hymns. I think was that Psalms 118 through 130. Does that sound right? Pop quiz, and I just I just failed my quiz. There we go. I knew that Roger would have the answer for me. Um, but again, there's an example. Jesus, as he was, you know, instituting the new covenant, gave an example the night before where, you know, he was singing with his disciples. Um, let's look now at, uh, I'm going to need somebody to help me out with all these passages. I'll get Acts chapter 16, 25. Uh, can somebody get Ephesians 5, 19? And then also uh, Colossians 3, 16. Here we want to look at who are we actually singing to when we sing in our worship. Singing to God, right? And I want to look at all these passages just to just expand on that. So Acts 16.25. Again, this is Paul and Silas uh, when they're in prison. Um, and we get into a bit of that discussion. It says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, singing hymns to God. And the prisoners... We're listening to them. Now, who's got uh, Ephesians 5.19? And finally, Colossians 3.16. Anybody get that one? So this is, uh, you know, pretty weighty that, I mean, when we are singing, we're not singing to each other, but ultimately we're singing to God. Um, You know, that's, again, when I say that we need to have our spirit, we need to have our minds right, our hearts right when we're, when we're coming to approach God, I mean, this is this is weighty stuff, and knowing, just remembering that, you know, that we're not just, you know, singing Psalm 274 or 962 or whatever it is that we see up on the on the uh, the projector, and you know, we we don't need to get caught up on, you know, is the key right or, uh, you know, is everybody in in the same beat or tune or whatnot. I mean, ultimately, when we sing out, we are singing to God Almighty. And uh, that's some pretty pretty heavy-duty stuff. I mean, I've had people ask me, uh, you know, when I get up and, and lead singing, if I ever get nervous, and I'm like, well, no. They're like, why? And I'm like, well, I'm not singing to you all. When I get up there, I don't see you. Um, and that's probably does correlate with when I'm there, I don't look up a lot because I get tunnel-visioned and I'm singing to an audience of three. You know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And that's, you know, pretty powerful stuff to me. So, um, exactly. We're getting ready to get into two of those points uh, later in the discussion. But I'm going to just take this off to make. I'm sure that's getting annoying, isn't the feedback from my vest? I'll try this. But yes, we are edifying each other, you know, we're, and that's one of the big topics we talk about here, edifying those that we are around, but then also that what you just mentioned, Chuck, having joy in your heart in spite of whatever circumstance you're in. Um, you know, James, uh, James 5, that's, you know, that's one of the key elements in that verse, you know, if you're, uh, if you're happy, sing to the Lord, you know, again, I'm paraphrasing that, but that's a... That is a powerful and, and uh, weighty thought that we have to keep in mind when we're um, when we're approaching God. 
Let's also, I want to look at this one too, Hebrews chapter 2. I think this one is a really significant one. Hebrews 2.12. It says, I will proclaim your name. Sorry. I will proclaim your name to my brothers. I will sing hymns to you in the congregation. Again, think about that. That's Jesus. And he's mentioning here that, you know, he's singing to God in the assembly. Um, you know, we, we talk about that last week with the, the uh, Lord's Supper, you know, that we're, when we're partaking, we're in communion, and who's also communing with us? Jesus is, right? You know, again, that's another element of why it's so powerful that we have to have, or so important, of why we need to have our minds right every day when we're coming to worship. Because, uh, again, we are approaching God Almighty and it's not a, an insignificant thing. Any thoughts or comments uh, so far? You're wanting to talk, Russell, I can tell. I can see it. It's building up. More than likely, there's someone here uh, in conservancy that are directly taken from hearts. Exactly. And that's, we're going to get into that, but I mean, that's the key element. Our heart, that's where we're, that, that is our instrument. Um, it doesn't matter if you know if, if you can carry a tune or if you sound like a you know a, a squawking bird or whatnot. He's here or he smells that pleasing aroma. You know he, he's mentioned that many times in worship that he you know that sweet smelling aroma. And I think it you know if if we're truly approaching him in the right way as we're singing, um, you know he's listening and he hears it. And it's come, you know, if it's coming from our heart in the in the right way, you know, I think that is a sweet melody to him. Right. Has anybody? Uh, well, we're getting ready in two weeks to go to CYC, but has anybody ever experienced those types of situ, you know, settings where you've got you know several thousand teenagers and young adults, and when they are engaged in singing? And sing powerfully. I mean, the first time I went right out of college with a group, and uh, I mean, it would raise the literally raise the hair up on my neck. Um, that that was an right. And I I've mentioned this before, but um, you know, I've had the same experience um, visiting folks, you know, in different countries. And when you're singing out, even though you're you're speaking a different language. But yet, you know, you're both praising the same God, and you're you're able to maintain that with the the harmony. It, that's another powerful one, and it to me that brings the world a lot. It makes us. It, that's when I realized the world's pretty small, and um, you know, this was in an Eastern European country who years ago we thought was our mortal enemy. Um, people are people, you know, and. In, that was another extremely powerful experience for me, at least, when, uh, when thinking about our singing. Um, talking about our purpose, and both Chuck, you and Russell both mentioned this. Again, we are praising God. We're, we're offering thanksgiving to him. Um, again, that's mentioned in Romans 15.9 and Hebrews 13.15. But then... As we read in Ephesians 5:19 and Colossians, uh, you know this is where we are going to teach, speak to, and admonish each other. Uh, again, I think that is another 
another powerful tool in our singing is that, you know, when we can build each other up, you know, we can, again, as you mentioned, we can teach those, we can evangelize those that have not, never ex- been exposed to the Word. You know, when we have, again, passages of the Bible that are, are brought to melody, you know, we are exposing people to that. Uh, but then also, you know, we're admonishing each other. We're, you know, holding each other accountable. Uh, but then also, you know, again, building each other up as, as, as we sing with, with each other in, in worship. Jumping back down here, New Testament identifies the manner in which we are to sing. Um, I just quoted a little section of 1 Corinthians 14, 15, that we are to sing with understanding. Again, our minds need to be engaged. Um, I think I've harped on that enough, but, you know, again, we are approaching the throne of God, so we have to, we have to be really thinking through the, the words that we're singing. We're not just, you know, trying to get through... Uh, couple songs, have an opening prayer, another song, and Lord's Supper, a few songs, and then, you know, a lesson, and then th- start thinking about where we're going to eat. You know, if our minds are like that, w- we, need to, we need to think about that some more. Again, thinking about who we're approaching this morning. God Almighty, the God who created this world, the God that created us purposefully, the God that knew that we're imperfect and, you know, because of our sin, we wouldn't be able to maintain a relationship with him. So he went ahead and fixed that problem by sending his son to be our stand-in sacrifice. And then speaking, you know, thinking about Jesus loving us so much that he took the punishment that I deserve. Um, you know, and then ultimately now he's reigning and ruling and is our king. Um you know, again, having that to me in, in our hearts and our minds all the time, that that has to be the forefront of what we do when we're singing. And again, our hearts have to be engaged. You know, we have to be in spirit. Um, we have to be making music to the Lord in our heart. And we have to have gratitude in our hearts. Again, as somebody mentioned, you know, that we're joyful in spite of our circumstances, we looked looked at, uh, you know, in Acts 16 with Paul and Silas there in prison, you know, and what are they doing? They're singing out to God because they're happy. You know, they're they're not happy in their circumstances, but happy that you know they're in a right, right relationship with them with Him, and then also they're trying to carry out His purpose, right? And you know that suffering that they're enduring because of that, but they're also reaching people. It's like Chuck, as you mentioned. And that's, to me, you know, going back to Jesus, you know, he mentioned, what did he tell us? And John, he said, you know, in this world you will have trouble. You will have, you know, problems. You're going to have difficulties, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And, right. My wife makes fun of me all the time for this, but I find, you know, as I'm getting older, there are songs that just come out. It doesn't I mean, I, when, as soon as I wake up, or if I'm in the middle of, you know, working outside, doing whatever, she'll come by and she'll, you're humming again, aren't you? And I was like, yeah, I am. But 
you know, guess what stuck in my head? I'm, you know, 99% of the time in that instance, I'm, I'm, I'm praising God. I am singing to God. Uh, it's something, I mean, I'm, it's not like I'm intentional about it, but it's just, it just happens. Uh, it's, of course, that's our little inside joke, but, uh, you know, again, this is, this is powerful to me. Um, and knowing that, you know, God is, is, you know, covering my sins daily and wanting to have that relationship with me eternally in heaven. Um, you know, the, the more birthdays I get, the more significant, the more powerful that becomes to me. Uh, so, again, it does. It just it flows right out of my, my heart. So uh, it is, it's significantly powerful to me. Any other thoughts or comments before we uh, move on? Let's talk about our instrument. What is the instrument that we use when we're worshiping God? Our heart, right? And we've seen that, uh, again, multiple multiple locations, but I did. I went back and copied in uh, Ephesians 5.19 and, and Colossians uh, 3.16. But God authorizes us in the New Testament that we make music. And I did, I want to note, though, I did use uh, the Holman Christian Standard Bible in my quotations, and the reason I did that, if you look at uh, Ephesians 5.19, you know, often we hear singing, making melody to the Lord in our heart, but in that translation, it's actually translated making music uh, to the Lord in your heart. Um, so again, I, that's a, a very significant, to me, um, element of that newer translation. Because you know, often, I mean, we're going to get into this, but uh, you know, this is the major source of contention in the religious world, right? Instrumental, non-instrumental music. Again, we go back to what's our authority, what's the standard that's been established to us, what's our example. Right. And, you know, again, that's, to me, one of the key differences, again, between the old and the new law. You know, the old law was legalistic in nature, right? You know, when you looked at all the the laws and ordinances that that were handed down for children of Israel to to follow. Um, again, I try to read through that and you know count them all up and think, is there any possible way I could have ever done that in a day? No. Then you contrast that with the New Testament, with the new law we've been given, and it's so freeing. You know, they're you just trying trying to think about it. I mean, and Jesus really stressed this, you know, when you look at uh, when he started his ministry, uh, you know, he was really talking about, you know, the new covenant being a change of heart. You know, it, he talked about a lot of different sins and attitudes that originate in the heart, not necessarily even the action. Um, looking at how we, you know, enter into a relationship with him and then how we can continue to walk with him after you know we've been raised in baptism and taking him on again it's a change of heart you know we're not we aren't given that specific command and when we're giving you know we're 
Give as you've been prospered. We're not given a an actual number that we have to meet that quota or whatnot. You know, he wants us to do it freely, willingly. You know, if you've been really prospered, then give more than you you know you would on a normal day. But maybe you're in hard times. Give what you can. Again, you may be back to the you know the widow with the two mites. Give as much as you can of your means. But again, as long as we do that willingly, freely, I think you know. That's what he wants out of us. Um, let's get dive into this just a little bit. Item number three. I know we're starting to. I have to step it up. I tried to. I was really Jeremy. I was really trying. I, you know, the last two weeks ago, how many notes I had, and I'm like, I'm gonna pare that down, and I did, but I still am struggling to try to get through here quickly. Um, I want to look at some specific commands that G, or that God uh, provided to us through the Bible. And I, this may seem like a departure, but I, I think if you bear with me, uh, we'll, we'll bring this home and you'll understand where I'm going with this. We look at when he approached Noah, you know, when he was getting ready to destroy the earth, um, he told him to... Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. What do you think would have happened to Noah if he hadn't have chosen that wood to make the ark? Which means we wouldn't be here, right? You know, he was given a specific example, a specific command of what to use in that instance. Um, I look at Naaman. If you remember him back in... uh, um, Gosh, I just I read that. I think it was at First Kings, Second Kings. You know, when he was a leper, um, and Elisha was commanded to tell him what to do on how to cleanse himself, he was told to go wash seven times in the Jordan River. But Naaman kind of fought that a little bit, didn't he? You know, he wanted to. Hey, he was a mighty warrior. You know, he wanted some big, great task to go do. Um, you know, he felt that it was beneath him to go wash in the dirty Jordan River. But what happened? Until he washed in the Jordan River, he didn't get cleansed. You know, so again, God was very specific in that, that, you know, even though it may have not have made sense to him, that's when he actually received the blessing. Um, then we're starting to look at us, you know, we talked about this last week, but you know, the commands that we have regarding our worship assembly, then also uh, specifically the Lord's Supper. Um, you know, when are, we, when are we specifically commanded to meet and partake? First day of the week, right? Which is today. You know, and that was, again, a departure from the old, old law where the Sabbath was, um, you know, driven, driven everything in society. Um, we're given a specific example from Jesus on what do we partake of in the Lord's Supper. What were the two elements? What are the two elements that we partake of? Unleavened bread and fruit of the vine, right? Which again, uh, he mentioned in, or you know, instituted uh, in these our passages in Matthew, uh, Mark, and, and Luke. So we're given specific instructions. So what does that by nature do? It excludes 
everything else. So back to Noah, if he had chosen red oak or the ark again, none of us would be here, him included. Naaman, we get, have that example until he followed the specific requirement of God, he wasn't cleansed. And again, we're given specific requirements on what we what we partake of in the Lord's Supper. You know, if we put steak and and uh, sweet tea up here, how pleasing to God is that going to be? Not very much, right? So we have to think about that same thing when we're looking at worship. And again, as I mentioned in um, you know section two previously. You know, we do have a, a instrument that's been given to us, specifically the heart, right? So now let's think, think about uh, silence. You know, the God, or you know, God's silence about instrumental music in worship. You know, and that is a, a common argument. Uh, you know, for people that are in favor of using instruments in in worship. You know, there, you know, a lot of people will say, well, there's not a, a verse that says you can't use a you know, a piano, or you can't use a guitar and drums, or you know, horned instrument, whatever. That's true. And how do we handle the silence of scriptures in that instance? Russell, you had your hand up. Sing and make melody in your work. They're playing, right? And then again, this goes back to this point when we were looking at those specific requirements. My argument is we have been given a specific requirement seen with our hearts. We make melody, we make music with our hearts. And just as you mentioned, Russell, I mean, I, it is very plain. Again, a lot of folks will say, well, you know, there's only two verses that you can refer to. Well, I'm, how many more do you need? Uh, how many verses are we given that, you know, we're not going to enter a relationship with God until we're baptized, until we're buried, and, you know, basically recreate dying to self, being raised a new creature, the same way Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected with a new body. There's not that many, I don't have it in my notes here, but we don't have that many um, verses to refer to either, you know, but what we do have, I think, is significant and powerful. Um, one of the things I do want to look at, kind of in that same same thought process, um, thinking about Jesus, you know, he's mentioned in Hebrews 7, being a high priest. Where did, where did what tribe did Jesus come from? Tribe of Judah. But what tribe did the priest come from? Levites, right? So if Jesus is a high priest, but the high priest could only come from the tribe of Levi, then what would have to happen for Jesus to be the high priest? That law would have to be abolished, which is the whole argument in uh, Hebrews 7 and 8. You know, so even, even though God didn't specifically say, you shall not use... XYZ instrument, you know, that God's silence on the matter, I think, you know, proves, or again, with what we just talked about, um, I think proved to us that, you know, we're, 
we don't have to have that argument. Neil, you had your hand up. Let me read that. It says, Now it is evident that our Lord came from Judah. And about that tribe, Moses said nothing concerning priests. Right. We've got just enough time. So let's finish up with this, and then I've got a... I've got some questions I want to pose to you guys. So again, God's silence about instruments other than our hearts, as we've just talked about, prohibits then the use of mechanical instruments. Again, our authorized music in the New Testament, speaking, singing, making music, making melody in your heart, giving thanks, teaching, and admonishing. And again, we can't go beyond what is written uh, let me read 1 Corinthians 4 real fast. 1 Corinthians 4, 6. Now, brothers, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the saying, nothing beyond what is written. The purpose is that none of you will be inflated with pride in favor of one person over another. And then finally, we can't add to the Word of God uh, that's mentioned uh, specifically in uh, Revelations 22:18. So, kind of wrapping up, our, our worship must be based on the example that we've been given and authorized um, in the New Testament. We are commanded to sing congregationally. Uh, our hearts are to be the instrument that we use in worship. And again, God's silence regarding the use of instrumental, mechanical. Uh, music or, or instruments uh, implies that they're prohibited. So I've got a question. I've been looking at uh, Amos 6.5. So I, you know, I've always looked at music in the temple worship. Um, you know, it seemed like, you know, when we have the account of Daniel, that there were specific instruments at specific times in temple worship um, that were required. And then I go back and I started looking at Amos 6.5. It says, uh, they improvise songs to the sound of the harp and invent their own musical instruments like David. So I started going back to 1 Samuel 8, 7 and 9, where you know Israel desired a king. And you know, when Samuel was uh, approached God about that, you know, God allowed it, but that's not what he desired. You know, and he basically told Samuel, you know, what did he tell him? Or tell Samuel to tell the Israelites. He said, give them what they want, but then also let them know you know, what's coming. And he said, you know, they've despised me as their king. Let them have their earthly king. So then I looked at, you know, David, when he brought the, uh, brought the ark back in First Chronicles, you know, and he instituted the ram's horn, trumpets, cymbals, harps, and lyres. When he you know, started temple worship, but then Ezekiah in, uh, renewed that in Second Chronicles 20, 29. So I guess my question is, 
was the instrumental music that we see in the temple worship. I'm on the fence here. I'm, I'm asking a question, but I mean, God tolerated it, but he did he really desire it? Or am I misreading Amos 6.5? Where I was going with that, it's authorized, but was it originally desired by God? And my argument was, going back to looking at Israel desiring the king, he allowed that to happen, but he didn't desire it. And, you know, my whole, I guess my whole interpretation or understanding of music specifically used at specific times with specific instruments in the temple worship Again, God allowed it, but ultimately did he desire it? Again, that's a question. I know it's open-ended, and we don't have time to dive into deeper. But uh, again, as I studied this one, I came back with more questions than I had answers. So that's another one for you. Thanks for everyone's time.